Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. And now I look like a sea, sea captain today. Arr! There she blows. Um, all right, good morning, everyone. Uh, has there been any holidays since we last chatted? I don't think so. That's good. I've been working on Christmas shopping. Lordy, lordy. Why is it when you're broke, Christmas comes around? I mean, I guess we're always broke, it's just when you have to buy a bunch of extra stuff. There you go. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I only know that because I hear my son watching YouTube videos. So there's YouTube comments on all these, like, oh, gosh, what's the guy he really likes name? He really likes the guy who makes the chocolate bars and... Uh, gives the money away all the time and you know those like like and subscribe if we get one million views we'll eat this hot pepper he loves hot stuff obsessed with hot spicy things so please like and set your alarm and put on your notifications and follow us right here at revolution if you haven't you should if we get a million followers i'll Drop dead right in front of you on this very show. Last week was the best talk we heard. Looking forward to today. Well, <laughs> let's lower those expectations a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but thank you. Yeah, um, I was. Uh, yeah, I was very moved last week, and uh, continue to be moved uh, by a lot of uh, different things. Um, today's talk, I don't want to say it's, it's uh, necessarily a sequel to any of the hell talks, but there is a bit, oh, uh, there's a bit of that in this today. Um, but I, I thank you. I mean, honesty, I think is, 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 you know, talking about, uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson and his work and also kind of putting in believe it or not Nietzsche really is it was a very big firm believer in honesty um, he didn't seem to have uh, be open to the contradiction of having religion be a part of that um, so you know I just uh, kind of was trying to sew that into my own work of saying well you know this radical kind of idea of radical honesty and, and, you know, and you kind of have to have radical grace in a world of radical honesty. You know, the two need to go hand in hand when we're able to be very honest about things and, and uh, not play games with each other. Very important, I think. So, uh, yeah. Um, might help us all be better, better friends and, and better people. So, anyway, I've got two soccer games following this, but my... Um, my, my ex-wife is being really cool and, and, and hanging out with the kids this morning, so that's good. This is my addiction, and um, I try to get off of it. Um, all right, well, 
thanks everybody for coming. I'm glad to see you're here. It's another gray day, wonderful, beautiful gray day here in uh, uh, Seattle. Oh, I want to recommend this real quick. Uh, this is Carlton Pearson's book, The Gospel of Inclusion. I, I did a J Recommends, and please share those if you get a chance, because the books I try to recommend are books that I've been reading. And I'll be honest with you folks, I am on a, like, a, uh, like I'm reading everything right now. Like, I am just on a reading frenzy. Like, I haven't been since probably Brooklyn, you know, where I'm reading, like, four books at a time, you know. And, um, and it's funny, because being dyslexic, and being a late learner, like I don't think I really felt comfortable reading until I was about 12 years old. Um, and now I can speed read. I, I don't often speed read unless it's like fiction or something like that because um, these type of books, uh, you know, I want to, um, and, and, you know, Hegel, you can't speed read Hegel and things like that. But um, it's wild. You know, I never thought I'd be reading that many books at once. And I've uh, been reading a lot before I go to bed as well. So I'm really excited about this the rest of this year and, and, and the beginning of next year, I think we've got some really cool things um, uh, coming up. Uh, so, you know, this is just, I can't find a job, so I've just read and keep this one. And the more I read and the better it gets, this becomes my job again. So that's great. Yeah. So I bought this, this really weird sweat, sweater, sweatshirt. Uh, what do they call them in, in England? They call them something, jumpers. Um, and the reason I bought it is because it reminded me of my best friend when I was like nine years old. He used to wear a sweatshirt that looked just like this, and I always thought he looked super cool. And here I am, 47, and I was in a store at the, uh, it was an outlet of some sort. What, what, what was it? What's my favorite outlet? Which one was it? It was... Uh, Nordstrom's. I like the Nordstrom's rack. So I was at the Nordstrom's and I saw that and I was like, oh, I want to look like my best friend from nine years, when he was nine years old. Oh, thanks for praying and get a new job or that some billionaire comes along and supports revolution or um, something like that. That would be even better because I would love to just continue to do this and be able to do more and maybe have a place to start meeting folks and things like that. There's some good news happening, but I can't share it with everybody right now. So it's weird. World is weird that, you know, you get good news and they're like, well, I don't say anything. So I'll keep you all in, uh, posted. You'll, 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 you'll know. Um, so anyway, yeah, that, this book is the book when, when Carlton Pearson went through all of his, 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 uh, his, his debacle of his life. He wrote this and it was, re it's really good. And, um, you know, I recommend this to a lot of people. All right, folks. Um, I've got my Bible. Um, and I've got my notes. Uh, it was funny. So I was, I like to go out and study. There's a, there's a Starbucks right down the street from my house. And um, there's usually a free table there. So I just go there and I get a nice tea. And... Um, I think of the irony of being anti-capitalist and drinking my tea there. Um, but this, these two younger men were near my, my table. Look, looked like college age, college attending. Don't know how I could tell, but I could just, because they had book bags, you know, on a Sunday. But so did I. <laughs> but I look like a, uh, you know, like, a, like I'm, I'm working on a ship right now. 
but I also have punk badges on. And so I had my books out and I had the Bible there and I had that book out and, and I had a Hegel book out and um, what else did I have? Something else. I don't know where it went because um, I wasn't going to, I wasn't using it today, but I had all these different books out. I'm writing notes. And, uh, you know, what? this doesn't happen much anymore, but this guy walks up to me and I'm, I've got my giant headphones and I have these giant pair of headphones. And starts talking to me, so I take my headphones off. Oh, what are you reading there? I can't help but be interested in by the look of your books. And uh, it's funny because I was still most embarrassed by the Bible, you know. So maybe I need to go meet my my Christian friends at the flagpole before school, so I can, you know, not be ashamed of my sword. Um, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got like all this these like you know, I've got all these weird books. You know, and it was just funny that it was like, even to this day, like faith, like, you know, then what do you, oh, what do you do? You know, and you're just going like, ugh. still hard to explain. So maybe that means it's time for a change, folks. I certainly hope so. Let's see. Um, hopefully you guys can hear me better. Last week I realized that the audio was really low. I, I listened to the talk, just a little bit of it, and it was like, oh, it's very low. So I'll try to speak more clearly. Um, so what have we become? That's, that was the beginning of my question of, of, of this talk, is what have we become? Um, and it's funny because I was thinking about that, and then I was like, their songs came through my head that had like, what have I become? And I'm like, oh, what is that from? And it was Hurt. It was Hurt. So um, the Johnny Cash version I like better just because it's, Johnny Cash, but I like both versions, but yeah, so you could listen to that, but what have we become was the question, and this often feels like beating a dead horse, but it's because we've been so uh, slow to change and so slow to, um, and uh, so so close, so slow, we are very slow with with, with making change happen. And sometimes what we do instead of making change happen, uh, we just become same of the, we just kind of jump into the du, du, dial, uh, the dualistic, what is it, dualistic? No. Um, that's not the word. Sorry, I'm having these. But kind of this dualistic, I guess, what two things, you know, one way, black and white thinking. Um, uh, um, we get into this kind of black and white thinking of good and bad, and we just switch our goods and our bads, you know, like, oh, I'm going to just jump from this, which seems bad now, over to this good now, and then I'll just see that as bad, and then when this becomes bad, maybe I'll jump over to this. And you see that happen a lot in seminary, to be honest with you, especially with the evangelicals who go to seminary, is, is, is they go to seminary, and I've seen, I saw this happen to a lot of my friends when I was younger, they would go to seminary and they would come back and they were just like, and usually would drop out. A lot of my friends dropped out of seminary. And um, a lot of people used to jokingly call the seminary the cemetery. Oh, you're going to cemetery? Be careful. And so what happens in seminary, because I've taken seminary classes just for fun because that's, because I'm kind of wild, I'm kind of a rebel. And, um, and I watched, you know, you, you hear 
things that are devastating to theology that you grow up, grew up with. You know what I mean? Like you hear things that like just don't, oh, oh. And you find out things about the Bible and you're just like, oh, you know, and you're just, people say, oh, it was just boring. I couldn't handle it. But, you know, I remember friends coming back and being like, I don't think I believe in God anymore. I don't know what to do. And a lot of these people I watched eventually come back around and just write off that time of their life. You know, like, oh, that was just a weird time. Oh, that was just, you know, and they try to say like, oh, there was, you know, they were just, it was progressive, liberal, or it was conservative, or, you know, or they were really atheists. You know what I mean? They, you, you try to like, look, blame all these people. Like, they were bad. I'm good. My church I grew up isn't good. So we'll ignore all the factual things we learned and all the like mind-blowing things we learned and go back into the church and just kind of stay away from cemetery or seminary. And it's not a cemetery. The problem is it's a cemetery for your old belief system. And it's earth shattering. And it shows us the reality that most of our uh, teachers in the church, in the Christian fellowship, aren't taught well. And even some, a lot of them are just taught within their denomination. You know, and so there's even crappy seminaries that are just like, well, it's, we have a Baptist seminary and we have a, a similar, you know, these seminaries will only teach you what we want you to know. So you've got that also going for you. Those are like the safe s seminaries to go to. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of probably, I'd say maybe 60, 70, 80% of pastors. I mean, me included. I mean, I, I, I'm all self-taught. So you never know what kind of heresy you're going to hear here, folks. Um, but I grew up with that, that type of thing, seeing that a lot. Uh, I don't know why I told you that story. Um, oh, organized religion. That, that, it's, it's, it's part of it. We're talking a little bit about organized religion today. And organized religion has become organized crime in a way. Um, like a mob god or, or, you know, the godfather. The godfather is God, God the father. And follow me on this, if you will. This is something that came to me the other evening. And I was just sitting, I was reading um, about hell. And I will tell you this. If you take a deep dive into studying hell, it is so confusing. And I'm really working on it to get it less confusing so I can prepare a part two of the talk we did. Um, I am actually think I'm going to take a class, an online class on, the, on it. Because uh, it gets really confusing, really fast. And it's only three different words. And they get really confusing in the tradition and how they've been used and how they've changed over years and the type of things that we've done with them. But hell isn't hell that we thought it was, and I don't think there is a hell. And I'm starting to be curious about how that concept really hit into the New Testament directly. Um, and I think there's some issues there. I think there's a lot of red flags there, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but it's, it's interesting. But why do I say organized religion, organized crime, uh, the mob, the godfather, god mob, if you will, is, have you ever watched a mob movie? If you haven't, do yourself a favor. It's a great genre. I really like the British mobs, mobster movies are my favorite, you know, because they're all kind of cheeky with each other. Um, but if you watch a mob movie, even like an old 50s mob movie, you know, where the mobster comes into like the... Uh, the five and dime, you know, or the grocery store. And, 
They're like, hey, uh, you're gonna need, you need to pay us for protection. They're like, oh, what, what do I need protection for? It's like, um, did you ever see the movie, um, the one with Patrick Swayze where he's the, uh, he's the bouncer, and uh, <laughs> you know they have the bad guys like, I brought a Sears in here. Ask anybody, um, <laughs> and uh, that guy's doing the same thing to all these, these. Oh, it would be a shame if something, <laughs> you know, happened, and then they like knock over a, a vase or like a lamp if something bad were to happen to you here you know and they start knocking things over and and the point is is that they're saying you need to to give us a percentage of what you make to keep you safe and then your our enemies and your enemies become our enemies which is true of it as, as well but then they go like, but really you're paying them to protect you from them ultimately like if they don't protect you, they're going to burn your shop down, kick you out, you're gone, you're done. And so you're paying people to protect you from them, right? So um, that's, that's the uh, Roadhouse. Roadhouse was that movie, by the way. Classic film. I saw Roadhouse in South Carolina when it first came out. And I remember it was so rowdy in there. I was smoking a cigarette. I must have been, I was a, like... 12 13 years old smoking a cigarette watching roadhouse like yeah you know like it was like we were a very bad very bad group of kids um you know so you pay for the protection you know their enemies or our enemies become their enemies you know and if you really think on it that is often what christianity is doing you know, like when you're at Sunday, if you grew up like me in an evangelical, even the Baptists uh, in the Assemblies of God did a very similar thing, you know, at the end of the talk. You're like, you know, if you were to die tonight, you know, and there's often a story about a guy who rode in on a motorcycle and came to an event and heard about the event and heard about Jesus and almost came to Jesus, but then was like, oh, I don't know, it's not cool. And then he rode home and he died on his bike and he went to hell, you know, you'd hear that stuff, you know, and, and so if you think about it, and then you do the every eyes closed, every head bowed, you know, raise your hand, oh, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, yes, 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 sometimes I think they're adding yeses just to make the group, make people seem like get everybody else saved, and you know, it, what they're basically saying is like, it would be a shame if you went to hell, you know, it would be a shame, let's say, if uh, you got in a car accident tonight on the way home and you died and uh, you end up suffering in eternity, burning up in a very private, particular, like, as soon as a God, we, hell got real particular, it was like, oh yeah, there's a designed, when you go, it'll be your own personal hell, you know, so it'll be like, for me, it would be like snakes and taxes, you know what I mean, it would be, you know, letters from the IRS, um, <laughs> snakes bringing letters from the IRS. Um, that must be a Baker thing. Um, <laughs> but, but this idea of like, it sure would be a shame. We really don't want that to happen to you. And we've accepted it. You know, I mean, just recently I found out that some of the, the, the words, when, it, when the Bible mentions the word being saved, it doesn't always mean being saved and going to heaven. It means like being saved from the, the persecutors that were happening at that time when they're writing these books. 
you know. But sometimes it makes it sound like, you know, get the, you'll get to heaven with the smell of smoke on your clothes. But when it's saying that, it doesn't mean the smokes of hell. It means the smoke of other burning Christians that are happening to the Romans. But we've been sold, so we see things a particular way. We, you know, so I've never realized until recently, you know, because I was just studying really good scholarship, and I've studied philosophy, my, I mean, theology most of, most of my adult life, from probably 20 to now. I'm 47. Um, but it never really hit me that Paul wasn't, never brought up hell. He brought up, like, maybe, like, uh, uh, what's the waiting room? Um, he had different words that he used, but, um, you know, the, the ones that Catholics usually believe in. Um, you guys are usually faster with your answers. Come on, kingdom typers. Um, can I get an amen and an answer to my question? Uh, purgatory. So, sorry, I beat you. Um, you know, Paul, at most purgatory, it seems like he was saying he's annihilation maybe, but no hell. But the thing was, you grow up hearing hell, and it's like the same thing with love. There's like, you know, all these different types of love. But you think in reading it in the Bible, it's all one type of love. But then when you start looking, oh, this is, oh, this is, oh, this is erotic love here. Oh, this is that type of love here, you know. And then hell being three, oh, you go, oh, this is different. Or destruction, oh, destruction must be mean hell. And so you hear these things. And I saw an article on this saying, you know, sometimes you have to just allow Paul to be Paul. And you have to take Paul out because Paul's earlier than the Gospels. And... People think Paul is this horrible person. Oh, he's sexist and oh, he hates it. And so a lot of people just say, I don't read Paul. But Paul's better news in a lot of ways because Paul's not throwing anybody in a torture chamber. You know, the pastoral epistles weren't written by Paul. So now you realize Paul is not as bad and as sexist as you thought he would be. And uh, Roman 1, everybody gets caught up, but read Romans 2 as well. Um, that being said... You know, those are things that are important to read, but we always have these ideas of, of what we've been taught and what we've been raised with, and we're going to look at that in a minute, and how it informs us that we don't even question it. And matter of fact, if someone who's trained their whole life comes along and tells us something different, we go, mm-mm, we would have known. But then you start hearing preachers and teachers call higher education cemeteries, instead of seminaries, so even their own higher education is dangerous. And then you hear people like, oh, you don't want to go down, you know, if you learn to, and even my mom was worried about that, like, oh, you know, I mean, anytime I would bring around, like, my friend shoplifted a philosophy book and gave it to me, and he's like, because nothing belongs to anyone, bro. <laughs> Must have been a Nietzsche, but I don't, I don't remember what I read. I remember thinking, oh, this is evil. <laughs> philosophy is bad. <laughs> this, is, this is like a one-way ticket to hell, you know? <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, and then turning on my, uh, you know, uh, whatever, like my Nine Inch Nails record, <laughs> much safer than philosophy type thing. Where is I going with this? Oh, so, you know, you've get this idea, this concept of, you know, it would be a shame if you would go to hell. You know, we don't want you to go to hell. One thing I learned about the, the Baptists, the Southern Baptists, which I thought was interesting, is, is uh, a lot of them have this kind of mixture of Calvinism and Arminianism. So it's like you kind of have the free will to get saved. So you get saved, and then it's once saved, always saved. And then after that, it's just rededication. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I really dig this idea of rededication. That, that seems to, to be really cool because now I don't have to worry about losing my salvation every day like I did as an Assemblies of God person. Um, 
but still, you know, there's this, this thing of, for me growing up, it was always like, oh, it would be a shame if someone took away, you know, if you didn't pay your dues, if you didn't do this, you know, and the thing was, is that it would say, close, uh, close your eyes, bow your head with no one looking, then put your hands up, you put your hand up, then you do that. And they go, oh, yo, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome, you're going to heaven. You're like, yay. And then they go, now anybody who did that prayer, we want you to come up front. And you go, what, what, what? We want to pray for you up front. And the Bible says, anyone who's ashamed of me, and you know, all of a sudden you're like, wait, now, wait a second. You told me it was this free thing, and now I have to automatically go down and let everybody else know I'm a Christian. Um, and then it begins like that. And then it kind of begins with like kingdom monitors or God monitors or heaven monitors of people watching what you do and what you say and what you listen to and who you date and all this. And it just becomes insanity. And it's like all of a sudden you've joined and you're like, oh, you know, it's not cult. But all of a sudden everybody's like, what are you doing? What are you listening to? Who are you going out with? You know, what are you reading? Are you in? Are you out? Are you in? Are you out? You know, and, and so it's like a combination between like mob a mob, like a really, really freaking paranoid mob or a cult. It would be a shame if something happened to you. You just kind of slowly threw into hell. And you start to realize that this is in some ways a way to keep us going to church on Sundays and raise a lot of money and make people feel better about themselves. So this is the honesty talk I had last, time, last week, which might not make anybody, you know, you're like, oh, that was so good. <laughs> last week was so, oh, he's being honest now. Oh, what else is on here? Let's watch Mr. Beast. Ah, uh, Mr. Beast, that's who my kid likes. Um, think on it for, you know, just think on that concept of, of, of Christianity as kind of a mob idea and how you see that in those movies and you go like, oh, this is so unfair, those poor people. You know, and now think about your own religion and what you were raised in is that, you know, you're paying a God to protect you from what God's going to do. And God, you know, and it's funny because Catholics, uh, at least in their literature, don't believe outside of the Catholic Church people go to hell. I don't think most Catholics believe that, but I, it is in their in their in their literatures, in their works, in their words, in some of their catechisms. I believe they're called. Um, but also, like I grew up evangelical, and we were told Catholics weren't. So you got to then you cut all these people out. Who's going to heaven? Who's going to hell? It's a very little group of people who are going to heaven, and the majority of the world is burning and weeping of gnashing of teeth for eternity. So, God's worse than Hitler. God's worse than any, like, suicide bomber. God's worse than any, you know, and you go like, and we go, oh, worthy of being loved. And then, you know, we'll get the Calvinists come along who get like this weird look in their eyes about, it's God's judgment, and it's fair, and it's even, and it's how it works, and we're just pieces of shit, blessed to be, you know, and it's like, it, they, they sound like people who grew up in abusive relationships or with abusive parents um, and, and now have uh, this, this concept of, uh, of like, oh, I've got to you know, defend them. So the Bible is probably one of the most divisive and dangerous books, if you think about it. So is it worth it, is the question. Is biblical literature, is, you know, it's funny because I have suspect device. You know, that, it comes from uh, Ireland is what they would put on, on packages that might have be palms in it, might not be good. And I put that on there because it's how it's used, and when it's used out of context, well, even sometimes within its own context, it can be very dangerous if we don't understand these things, if we're not willing to be honest with ourselves and honest with others and really understand it in an honest way. 
And if we just blindly lead in and go, oh, blind faith, it's so beautiful, you know. He doesn't know anything about the Bible, and he loves Jesus, you know. I'm like, well, that might be why. Um, now, I still am a Christian. I still follow Christ. I still think Christianity is really amazing. And um, there are times I doubt it. Yes, this is like anything else. But I really feel connected to it. But that's also because... The more honest I've allowed myself to be with the text, the better it's been. But at the same time, I've had my own father, you know, uh, passive-aggressively teach against me in ways because he felt like I'm dragging people to hell and maybe dragging myself to hell as well because I don't recognize that. Um, or that you're, oh, you're opening the gate. But what happens is, is when we get rid of hell, we don't have to start judging everybody else. We don't have to start worrying about everybody else. We can start to look at ourselves and see how well we're loving, how well we're agreeing with each other, how well we're disagreeing with each other. Um, you know, when you're in a system, like I watch these philosophers argue sometimes. I'll watch philosophers debate. And it's really crazy because even if they get like really frustrated, at the end they're still friends, you know. And I watched Christians debate, and like they're casting each other into hell. You know, they're like, "You're gonna burn forever, brother." You know, you're a, you know, and you're causing other people to burn. So you think this person is literally getting people tortured and killed? So of course you think they're awful. But who's doing the torturing and the killing? Oh, well, that's God, and He's good all the time. You know. So we have to be honest and ask honest questions. You know, and even if you prove me wrong, at least do it honestly. Not by tradition. You know, in a way, the church has become Frankenstein and not the monster Victor Frankenstein. In a way, the church has become Victor Frankenstein. Um, this is another analogy for today. Um, and, and has created monsters. And often these monsters realize they're monsters and don't want to be around the maker anymore and leave. But I see it all the time that sometimes these Christians who leave the church do that good and bad thing. Like, it's bad, so I'm leaving it to go to the good, and I'm going to focus all my energy towards the bad. And so they become like Frankenstein's monster where they're attacking the church and tearing the church apart and tearing other people apart. And some people say that's what I do. I'm honestly not trying to do that. I'm trying to reform the church and, and pray that it stays around because I think the church has something to offer the world if it can get its shit together. Um... But, you know, you've got this, this Frankenstein mentality. So what happens is, is the church raises all these people to be intolerant, to be judgmental, to be hateful, to be suspicious of everyone and programs them that way. And then they go like, holy crap, this is no way to live. So they, they, they leave and then they return the favor to the church and become very suspicious, very angry, very hurt, and very judgmental of those who follow Christ are those who are part of the church, are those who are, who, who are part of those people. And so it creates this, this system. And you'll see it a lot. You'll see it a lot on, on, on people who are like, you know, people like Christians will raise money being like, we've got to fight against this evil. And then the people who they're fighting against will be like, yeah, we've got to fight against these closed-minded Christians. And yeah, do this. So help me raise money so we can fight against this kind of stuff and get that, you know. And so it's this like circle of like, like, that's, that's also a revolution. That's not one that changes. That one that just continues to go around and around and around and around like a record. And, and so you have these two groups that just kind of like create this like system of life for them both. And they're able to like raise money off of each other and help each other by making each other look 
foolish to their own people. And you see that a lot. And where is that getting us? You know, is that moving us to a place where we're more inclusive of each other, more inclusive of uh, black and white and LGBTQ folks? You know, is that moving us in, in, in a position where we're more, uh, more acceptive of liberals and conservatives and, you know, whatever? Is this getting us to a place where we're going, we're seeing war and we don't go, oh, that team is the good one and that one's bad when we go, no, everybody's got to stop killing each other. We're, I don't want to be a part of a world. I don't want my taxes to go towards murdering anybody, good or bad. I'm supposed to love my enemy. Where we get really radical with the good parts of the faith rather than being radical with these awful parts of faith that allow us to have some type of control over the other. So this is radical stuff and it needs to change. And I hate that I have to sit here and look like some like weirdo crying in the wilderness, you know, like John the Baptist eating locusts and honey. Like, hey guys, I mean, that's why that kid who, you know, college kids stood up today and looked, and looked at me and was like, I've got to talk to this guy because... Look at him. He looks like a sea captain with punk buttons and really wild, like a Bible and Hegel and uh, the gospel of inclusion. Like, what is, this, what is this dude doing? What is this madman doing? You know? I don't want it to be madness. You know, this, this, is, this is the message of hope. This is a message of arguing well. This is a message of self-acceptance. You know, loving yourself. You know? and accepting others, and caring for one another. But we're afraid. We're deeply, deeply afraid that if we lose this system, if we question these things, that we've allowed, we, are, we have become dependent on what other people have taught us, and we don't know the truth for ourselves. So if you want to persecute me for this, I'm going to encourage you not to go talk to a pastor. I'm going to encourage you to pick up books, you know, books that are, that are, that are really made to, to be read. Of like, what, okay, what do these words really mean? Where do these traditions really come from? Is this something that we should be living? Is this something that we should be... Should we cause people to live in fear? Should people have these terrifying dreams that they're going to burn in hell forever? Like, I get it. I get why you'd want to leave. I get why you don't want to hear me. I get all that. Because hell is frightening. It's a terrifying idea. But if you want to really hit me hard, then tell me how God who loves us all so much and cares about us all so much, does that for eternity. How put your loved ones that you've known, maybe you've passed in your life who weren't believers and now they're in hell forever, you know, when, you know, that you never ever get your mistakes paid for, that you never, and it's not because of what you, because you may have had a life of good and giving to other people and helping other people, but you just didn't say the right prayer or you didn't believe the right thing. And then with most Christians, you maybe didn't buy into their theology, so you were like, instead you were a Catholic, or instead you were a Baptist, or instead you were a symbols of God, and instead you spoke in tongues. Do you see how this has not grown into something that's like really beautiful and inclusive and helpful? It's been something that you, I mean, not even the Pharisees threatened people with that. Like the Pharisees were awful and turned people into twice the devils that they were, but even the Pharisees didn't say like, you guys are going to burn for eternity. You know, the bad guys, supposedly the bad guys in the Bible, the religious people who hated Jesus, at least were not like, well, Jesus, wait until we kill you, because when you kill you, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. You know, and I feel like that people like Martin Luther, um, work was never done. 
you know, because um, Martin Luther said, you guys, you can't charge people for a moment in hell. You can't charge people to get out of hell. You can't charge indulgences. That's, that's horrible. That's wrong. Because um, the church was taking advantage of that. But my question is, is what we're still kind of charging indulgences with a wink and a nudge. We're still trying to say like, oh, we want to get you out of hell and here's the right way and stay under our leadership and make sure you come here once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe three times a week, maybe four times a week, you know, because you don't want to go to hell and you don't want your loved ones to go to hell. But we're willing to accept this insane idea because we've grown up with the traditions of it. Some really smart people wrote it into creeds and things like that. And, we're, and we just go, okay. And then someone like me comes along and you go like, oh, he's lost, this, he's lost the script. You know, well, I've, I've been spending, reading and studying the Bible for 27 years, almost every day of my life. And, uh, and, I, and I've came up with this thought years ago. I mean, I remember being a, early on in my, 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 my you know, education of faith, sitting down with other preachers going, like, do you think like this concept of hell is really something that like, do you really think that this is, this is it? Cause this doesn't seem to add up, you know? And we would have long conversations. Um, um, so there's an interesting concept. What does SMH mean? Does anybody know? I'm sorry, I just see someone wrote something SMH and I'm not sure. Oh, but they also said goodbye and wrote SMH. Oh, I'm probably, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. Did I make you upset? I'm not here to make you upset. I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to say, hey, read this stuff, study this stuff, read that book, The Gospel of Inclusion, and then prove it wrong. If you want to really get a real good place to go, um, really, really get a good way to argue with something, read that book, The Gospel of Inclusion by Carlton Pearson, and then prove it wrong and share it with me. I'll be glad. You know, you can get me on, on Instagram and things like that. Like, if you want to be able to prove it wrong, fantastic. But the fact is, is the gospel means good news. And I'm not sure what good news is. It has to do with uh, all the kids who are starving in Africa dying and then just popping into hell. All the Jews dying in the Holocaust popping in hell. All the people who are hit by, you know, or killed every day just going to hell if they didn't say the right prayer or didn't believe the right thing. Like, that's what we've subscribed to. So there's a reason why people look at us and go, oh, Christians are crazy. And it might not just be because a lot of Christians are conservative or like when liberal Christians get liberal, they get really wacky. It might be because a lot of us buy into an idea that we want you to serve our God or our God is going to destroy you and kill you forever and torture you for eternity in the most horrific way. And imagine the most, they, I used to be told this as a kid, Think about this, being told this as like a six or seven year old kid. Imagine the worst thing you can imagine and then it's ten times that. That's what hell is. Why does the Bible even say you know, like bringing people to Christ through love and grace? Now I've believed, I haven't believed in hell in a long time, so if this is, people are going, ah! you haven't been listening. I've said it before and I've just said I haven't done talks on it. And today is a bit of a talk but it's a talk to kind of show like how we think, look at it differently. That's why I've said it's like a mob or it's like Frankenstein. In the Frankenstein book, Frankenstein becomes so angry at his master, at the, at the maker, uh, that he, he, he starts to become articulate and says, I'm going to come back, I'm going to kill all your friends and I'm going to take all your friends. You know, and I can remember 
uh, getting saved, uh, you know, at Christian camp, and them all being like, you got to just get, get rid of your friends because, you know, God's coming for them. You know, pray for your friends, maybe share a Bible verse with them or something like that. Invite them to church, but that's it. You got to get rid of them because they're all hellbound and they'll drag you back to hell. You know, um, I was told to do the exact opposite that Jesus did. Don't hang out with sinners. Don't hang out with those, you know, you don't, those are, you don't hang out with those people. You don't do that. There was no loving your enemies. It was just be careful that they don't drag you down into hell. It was a fearful thing. There was no, grace was just like, grace was, is semi-amazing grace. Um, but grace is not good enough for those who die without the right prayer or the right belief system. You know, that's just not there. And I, I'm glad there are people who agree with me. I want to disagree with you, Will, but I also want you to prove it. Prove that I'm wrong. Don't just go like, Jay, every pastor I've ever heard, and you know, I'm not going to listen to some armchair theologian sit in his house telling me that there's no hell. Well, prove it. Like, wouldn't you want to know, like, if there is a hell, then, and you can prove that there's a hell, if you can at least prove it that biblically that, that that's what, what, what's supposed to happen to us, that that's what you'll do? Like, the, like, hey, at least tell me, like, this is the type of God I serve. I serve a God who literally tortures everybody who rejects him. And that's the good news. And Jesus' love and compassion and Paul saying that God never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance, never gives up. What it, well, here, I'll grab my Bible. Let's see what, what Paul says about Jesus' love. Here we go. Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious, boastful, or arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now, for a second, you've got to look at that resentful. That's translated in uh, other translations as uh, keeps no record of when it's been wronged. So love keeps no record of it's been wronged unless you didn't say the right prayer, right? Um it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, okay, fair enough, but rejoices in the truth, yes. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Now imagine if we let go of hell theology, of this torture chamber idea, and we still had to get rid of hell. That means hell on earth. That means wars. That means what late term, late time capitalism is doing to all of us is frightened that we can't pay our bills and we can't make ends meet and that we're going to be homeless. Like we don't just want it for ourselves, but we want to share that with others. Imagine how Christianity would be seen in that way. You know, like Dr. King or, you know, I mean, do you all think Gandhi went to hell? Well, that's just a fact. He's burning in hell. You know, good guy. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a great guy because he did some things that weren't great, but he did some things that were really great. But that's just all of us. You know? So, I mean, these are questions to ask. I mean, are good works only for just, you know, you know, why even do good things? Like, if you realize, like, well, you know, you know, is it, are we serving God because it's a get out of hell free card? Because you're told you're loved unconditionally, you're cared for, and I'll never give up, never lose faith. You know, Gloria cares about you, embraces you like baby chicks. But, you know, you know, oh, that sounds good. Now, now, but here's the real quicker. It's like the seal the deal. It's like, this is how we're going to seal the deal on the cell. 
Then they become also the mob boss. And here's the deal. You'll be protected. You'll be taken care of. People will say hi to you on the streets. It's going to be fantastic. Everybody's going to come here. You're going to love it. And if you don't pay, if you don't do what we ask you to, then you're going to be killed and burned and, 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 and harassed every single day into your life. And you probably life won't be that much longer because we're going to end it. Wait, so you could either make my life heaven or you can make my life hell. Well, what are you going to choose? Is it good because of the good things or is it because of the bad things that you choose it? You know, I mean, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And those who still fear God have not been completely matured in God. I believe that's in John. I believe that's in 1 John. Um, so the monster ends up going after Victor and his friends. The point with the, the whole Frankenstein thing, and that is, is that we create monsters. We create people who feel hurt and angry who feel insecure, who worry about hell, who lose their children and aren't saved and have to go, oh my God, my son is being tortured for eternity. If you could bring anybody out of hell, here's the question, if you could pull anybody out of hell, would you? If you could say, well, they won't be in hell. Would you? And is that because you're more loving than God? You know, does anybody ever eventually, like, do you think people just, you know, you say, oh, they have to pay the price, but like, it's, I mean, this is beyond canceling, cancel culture. People, I hate cancel culture. Well, this is beyond cancel culture. So I'm asking for radical honesty. I believe that the faith asks for that. I believe Christianity talks about not lying. So I'm asking for that as well. Like, we'd be radically honest about this. Or at least say, well, I didn't make the rules, and it's really horrible, but I'm going to serve it because I don't want to go to hell. You know, and, and if it is true to some of you, then you should be running the streets telling people. You should be the street preacher. And except saying repent, because that word is very misunderstood. I think you should say, change your mind and come to Jesus so you don't burn in hell. Trust me, you should love him because I heard hell's a really crappy place, you know. Um, or you just like stop believing at all and just start working out. And, and taking vitamins and take your chances. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I think people like Luther got a glimpse of it and saw it and just didn't take it far enough. And why did God create such evil, shitty beings? You know, if we're all really that worthy of all that stuff. And some will say free will, but then you got to deal with the, the you know, the, Cap, the Calvinists who say, well, some were designed to just be burned and tortured forever and others weren't, you know. So everybody has their own way of making God really a horrible, judgmental God. And believe me, do I like speaking on this? No. Should I be speaking on this in the beginning of December when I have to pay rent and buy gifts for my children? And do things like that. No, probably not the best idea. <laughs> not really when the month you need to raise finances the most is coming up. That's probably not the sermon you want to preach. But I mean, honestly, I believe this stuff and I want to share it with you. And I want to help you set free. Or at least I want you to question it. At least I want you to go look into it and ask the question. You know, have I been hoodwinked? 
You know, have we all accepted this? Have we all have such fear of not God, but fear of one another and fear of each other's opinions? And if, I mean, if you had preachers, you told them that you, they would tell you, they could tell you anything they want without worries of losing their homes or their jobs or their friends, you would hear a very different type of theology. So that's what happens often is when we get into this as a full-time work and our full-time job, we start to worry that we're going to lose, you know, oh, if I say this, if, I mean, I knew, like, I knew if I said, if I think it's okay for you to be gay and, you know, God celebrates it and I think you should have equal rights and be married, I knew it was going to cost everything. And I did it anyway, even though it probably wasn't the best for my finances or best for my staff's finances because it took it all away. But that's the thing is when you, when, you, when you follow the radical, there's some of us who just can't help it. And that's what I love about uh, Carlton Pearson because I used to see Carlton Pearson do all these huge sermons and just thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He had a huge church and all this stuff. And he was conservative and he's all this stuff. And I just always remember thinking like, is this guy for real? Is this guy for real? And I remember when he said, I don't believe in hell anymore and watched his, everything go down. I didn't think we'd end up speaking in the same event together. We did and we've been... I mean, I'd known him before that, but we became dear friends. Um, that was the moment where I knew he was real. And it wasn't a convenient truth for him. It was cost him everything. And he never got it back. I'm sitting in a room right now by myself with a messy house because I've had my kids for like eight days. <laughs> and I'm going to pick them up in a few minutes. Um, because I told the truth. Because when we tell the truth, another go, well, you're just not in the club. I mean, to the point where people would say stuff like, God's taken his hands off of you. You know, I watch people arguing hell over, we, we love hell, we love keeping score so much that we will damn a man minutes after his death. We will damn his memories minutes after his death. And always, I mean, I watched it and I go, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not truth. If you want me to lie to you and that will get you to support me, find another church. Because maybe they're not lying. Maybe they truly believe it. And I believe a lot of people do truly believe this stuff. But that's why I talk about arguing well. Arguing to a point where we don't have to destroy each other's lives. All right, I'm going to... What have we become... And here's the thing is we must first free ourselves from the pollution of institutional religious thoughts. So we've got to allow ourselves to be free. We've got to allow ourselves to free ourselves from the pollution of the, intu the institutional religious thoughts. You know, it's like when Yoda said, you must unlearn what you have learned. Mm. You know, we've got to unlearn the things that we've been raised with. So when I look and I go into a thing where it's ex-Christians and I start talking to them about stuff and they start attacking me like crazy because they know I'm still a Christian or I'm a pastor or whatever this is. And those are words I haven't been uncomfortable, I've been very uncomfortable with, but today I felt very comfortable. Today, I, to this day, literally today, I feel comfortable with those words because of this truth. If this was more of the truth, I would feel comfortable with being a pastor, with running a church, with being a part of communities, if we were open to talk about this stuff rather than scapegoating each other and destroying each other the thing time it comes up. So, we must first free ourselves from the pollution of institutional religious thought. We've got to unlearn. We've got to throw down our arms because we use those things as, as weapons towards each other. 
I mean, if your first thought is that anytime someone brings up a piece of theology that you don't like or, or you don't agree with is to turn off the TV or turn off the webcast or turn, walk out. It's, and it's not to know, like, well, why? Why are you doing this? I mean, do you like that Mercedes in the driving? You know, why would you do this? Do you not remember what the guys who said they would protect us would do to you if you questioned that? So, 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 it's tough. It's a struggle. It's not something I take lightly. I don't like being discommunicated from my family because I don't believe in a certain idea that seems like a fairy tale. It hurts. I don't like seeing ex-Christians being so angry and so obsessed with tearing apart other Christians because I'm like, you've not changed. You're still throwing hell and judgment and curses towards other people. I hate what this stuff has done. But I see goodness in it. I see goodness and grace. I see goodness and love and forgiveness and hope. I find it there and I try to my best to communicate it and say these are things that are worth us keeping. Jesus, there's something to this Jesus that is amazing. And it's not hell. It's forgiveness. It is grace. It is love. It's the never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful that endures through every circumstance. It's what my mother lived and didn't have the education to communicate it, so she just lived it because she knew it instinctively. We must let go of judging one another and, and start to learn one another's. We've got to learn our love style. You know, judging one another is because of their lifestyle and begin to find out what our love style is. Let's not worry about everybody else's lifestyle. Let's learn what our love style, what is my love style? And that's why I preach about grace and arguing well and things like that. How do I love? And can I do that by any means necessary? You know, can I love others that way? Can I do what my mother said? I got to be me. Can I be me and love people radically? You know, there's a reason why she's celebrated by people is because she loved people so much. She never came out as, as support of gay marriage, you know, and all that stuff. But she loved people in such a way that they were radically changed by that love. And it wasn't fear. It wasn't hell. It wasn't those things that made them go like she had something right. And what my mom had was a relationship with Jesus. She loved Jesus. She loved grace. She knew it. She knew it in her bones how much God loved us. That she would go anywhere and tell people Jesus loved them and not warn them about burning in hell. She just didn't think about it. She didn't want to think about it because instinctively she knew there's something wrong with that, that theology. We, and here's the thing is we don't fight with our fists. We take a book out of Gandhi or Dr. King and we use love against the fires of hell. We use love against the fires of the hell that other people bestow upon us. If we want to get rid of hell, we get rid of war, we get rid of poverty, we help get rid of diseases, you know, we help get rid of abusive situations, we help get the government to think differently, and we speak truth to power, but we know ultimately it is for the greater good. So I'm not saying we don't go and go, hey, this, you know, I'm not happy with the Republicans or the Democrats, I think they're both screwy, and I'm really shocked about how many of them own 
stock in like weapons manufacturing, it really frightens me to death, to be honest with you. And it needs to stop and it's horrible and it's horrific, you know. So we speak truth to power. But we do that out of a concept of love of where that leads. Rather than it leading to where, everybody's like, follow the money. What's the bottom dollar? Instead of having the bottom dollar, we go to the bottom of how do I love to my fullest? What is my love style? You know, um, how do I continue to love and love those who don't even deserve to be loved, as the Bible says, my enemies? And how do I love my enemies while they're still, why they are still actively my enemies? Now, all that gets a lot easier when you stop thinking about a torture chamber that makes concentration camps look like a holiday. So Luther reformed to a point, so maybe it's not that we need to reform again, maybe it's that we need to continue the reformation of the body of Christ. Because we are all one in Christ. So this, yes, I'm an inclusionist, yes, I'm a universalist, yes, I believe everybody's going to go to heaven if there is a heaven. I hope there's a heaven. I don't know, without a doubt, but I hope so. But I hope that we can make less hell on earth first. And then we'll all find out together. So maybe, just maybe, we're here to continue this work of the type of reform that helps other people, that doesn't go to war over reform, but that we love more radically. You know? I remember this, this, uh, this old blues song, and this guy was going like, No more burning hell. But he also said, No more heaven. He said, No more heaven. No more burning hell, you know, because he just wanted to live his life. So no more burning hell. And I, I've been thinking about that no more burning hell, you know, rather a burning passion for truth, even if it doesn't agree with our tradition or our theology, even our philosophy, but that we have this radical concept of hunger for truth. And sometimes truths meet in the middle. And so then we have to learn about contradiction and that's where the importance of philosophy and thinking at another level comes and that's where critical thinking comes into it so it's not this thing where i'm just going like there's a reason why the bible says die to your flesh and carry your cross and do all these things it's not just given it's we have to work for it we have to understand it you know it's not you don't just sit back and go like okay that's my theology that's my theologian right there and that's oh that's my philosopher i like what he says okay that's my philosopher no you study it you look at it, you spend time you wrestle with it you go oh oh geez that was that well who's who doesn't like it? you go over and you read this and you study these things and you do it and you earn to understand these things you know over time and you wrestle with it like jacob wrestled with the angel you know um and one of the things is, is when the Bible in Corinthians it talks about no more resentment, no more keeping record. I mean, there's no more record keeping, and that's what we do because humans are addicted to keeping records, you know, and remembering the score. And it's not just Christians; it's everybody. And it's not just conservatives. It's liber liberals have become way better now the past couple of years. Of my friend, my liberal brothers and sisters have been online. I've realized you all are very good, and I have to conclude myself, I guess, in there somewhat, but very good at keeping records, and I get it too. I mean, it's nice to keep records. We all want to, you know, but we're, we've become these like addicted to keeping records and record keeping. And then when you have a religion that kind of almost is like, yeah, let's keep that going, you know, because we've got to judge. It's about judgment, and judgment is lazy because it doesn't take time to love a person. It doesn't take time to understand the person. It doesn't understand 
to who they are, what is their essence, what are, who are these people, where are they coming from, where have they been, what have they been through, has that maybe shaped them and their lack of belief or their belief system? You know, so they're, they're, when we're just keeping records all the time, it's not fruitful. Bookkeeping is not helping Christians or ex-Christians, to be honest with you. As I've said before, I, I, you know, often those just trade one judgmental system for another judgmental system. So I guess what I'm asking you to do more and more is, is today is to continue to dive into the concepts of truth. And I'll tell you what I found in des desperately jumping into these different concepts is, uh, is I found more grace and more forgiveness and uh, more maturity. And, uh, you know, life has, has consequences and, and it's enough to live within the world system and the consequences that life has every day for the decisions we make. Um, and I'm always grateful for grace in those moments as well. Um, but I don't think this is about eternity. And I don't think there's an eternal tor torture chamber. And I didn't really even mean for this to be on hell. But what I meant this to be is to kind of show us the mentality of what a lot of Christianity has become. And that certain people, you'll know, avoid it. You know, when I used to be called a seeker-sensitive teacher because I didn't talk a lot about hell because I didn't want to, you know. Because I was, I knew it was bad, but instinctively I knew it was bad, so I didn't write about it. You know, some, sometimes the best theologians don't really go down the theology of hell because they just were like, well, just avoid that part, because it seems to undo all of the good news. You know, uh, so you don't hear a lot about it. I don't even think like Paul Tillich necessarily wrote about hell, but I don't sort of think Paul Tillich did not believe in hell for a reason. But you know, so that's a thing too, as you see, like you know. Um, Joel Olstein hasn't become famous because he preaches hellfire and brimstone. You know, um, I sat in a room with Joel Olstein and he said he wished he could be gay affirming. You know, but then he kind of pointed to all the people around him and was like, but they'll never let it happen. So, you know, uh, <laughs> they're more afraid of us than they are. They're, they're more afraid of being wrong with the people than they are being wrong theologically. You know, there's a reason, you know, Olstein avoids hell as much as he does. So, I'll see uh, Roberta say, how do we know the truth? And it can be very confusing. Study, you know, read. Find out, like, oh, what does this mean? You know, find good lectures online. Uh, study good books. Um, you know, if you can't read books... You can get audiobooks, and, and, and we can learn from one another. Come to Revolution, you know, and go, okay, well, maybe Jay's not right. You know, I mean, I remember reading a lot of conservative evangelical stuff like 10 or 15 years ago uh, because it was becoming so popular with people. I wanted to know, like, what, what's going on with the, why is Calvinism making this resurgence so, so strong, you know, and, and reading those things. You know, read things you don't agree with. Um, uh, there if grace is true, I can't remember, I think it's two authors of the book, If Grace is True. There's a book called If Grace is True. I can't remember the author's names right now. But I remember reading that, and the first time I read it, it got very loosey-goosey with grace and kind of wrote out hell. And I remember, and, and I've seen the, the first copy I had of that book. I've got all these red flags next to it because I was like, oh, this is, this is a slippery slope to heresy. Like, it's good news, but it's slippery slope, you know. 
and I had to study more. Now I go back and look at those red flags and I go, oh, you know, um, how do you know what the truth is? I, I also have to wonder, like, like we don't, you know, you don't always know. Sometimes it is a leap of faith, but you get the best evidence you can and the best understanding you can and you follow it because it's definitely not by what the majority think. You know, majorities have voted in a lot of horrific people and done a lot of bad things. And, you know, I mean, Creed had a number one album at one time. I mean, you know, so come on, folks. We know that, you know, the majority isn't always right. <laughs> um, yeah, so we got to just learn to think critically. I think that's the best I can, uh, Roberta, I can offer you is, is to learn to be a critical thinker and to ask questions and to hope for that. Um, but that, that's how I've come to the conclusion is through prayer and studying. But also, you know, I'll tell you this. One of the things that happened to me, because I had always kind of, like I said, people seen as a secret sense of pastoring, never really talked about hell. I, I just couldn't figure out how it made sense, but I just figured, well, it's God. I'll just trust the Lord. And it was a car ride with... Carlton Pearson. And it wasn't theology. It wasn't a word study. I mean, I knew hell wasn't what we thought it was and that it wasn't Dante's Inferno from doing word studies. So I knew it wasn't that. Like, it wasn't the scary torture chamber. -y. I mean, it was still scary, but it wasn't exactly what I had been raised in it. And, but I still wasn't sure. And now that I've studied it, it's gotten harder and harder to understand because there's so many traditions behind these words. And hopefully I will have a good answer for that. But one of the things was, is, is, is I said, what about Hitler to, to, to Carlton? I said, what about Hitler? So we were driving back from this talk. And I'm there in that car because I said it's okay to be gay. So I have, my audience has gotten smaller. He's there because he didn't believe in hell. And, and it's funny thing is both of us had these transitions. And at the same time, he still thought it was a sin to be gay. And I still thought there was a hell, you know, maybe. And so we're having this conversation. And I said, well, what about Hitler? And he goes, Jay, what you're saying about Hitler being the most evil person to ever live is you're making God is like a billion times more evil than that because of what he's going to do to those who died in the gas chambers, go straight to hell. And then almost the majority of the living are going to be burning in hell for eternity with no hope for a stop and no end to their suffering. And that was it in my head. It just went click. And I'm like, yeah, I can't buy that. I don't buy it. I won't buy it. And if that's the truth, then we're all hopeless. And there's no hope and there's nothing good about that news at all. And, uh, and it hit me right at that moment. And I just said, well, I'll have to look at it. I have to look deeper into it. But that moment changed my mind. I said, yeah, I, that's not, that doesn't add up with the message of Christ. There's something wrong here. And that's often how, like, when you look at the, 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 uh, the pastoral epistles, and, uh, you know, the, the, they, they, don't, they don't line up with the word of Paul's, of other things that Paul's saying. You know, Paul, one minute is being like, there's neither male nor female, no Jew or no Gentile. And then the next minute, Paul's going like, and this is how leadership is, and this person's more important than this person. And, you know, and then I'm like, but didn't he just say in Galatians that God has no respecter of man? You know, and, no, and now he's setting up all these, like, different things. And so... So it was comparing and looking and going and just using even those common sense ideas to go, okay, I need to look deeper into this. I had the other day um, an ORU graduate <laughs> uh, come on and say to me, oh, well, what is it? What is this Christianity then? What's the whole point of Christianity? Um, um, uh, just to love other people? Just to love each other? Is that the whole point? I mean, that seems kind of 
weird. And I'm like, but no, that's it. You got it. You figured it out. What you think is boring and weird and strange and that doesn't make any sense, that's it. That's the point of Christianity, loving others and loving those who don't love you. There it is. Love God with all your heart and equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. Yep, you got it. Those are the most important things. And to him, that wasn't enough. To him, he wanted to fire insurance. He wanted to be special. He wanted to be unique. He wanted to have special knowledge and being going to a special place and being specially chosen because he knew the right thing. And that can be addicting. Certainty can be addicting. And truth will be terrifying because it may no longer allow you to be certain. That's the weird thing about truth is it kind of leads to more questions. Thanks, everybody. Sorry, this is, I didn't make this to be as radical as it was, but there you go. Thanks for coming today. Let's not allow Christianity to be a mob or organized crime, you know. Let's change that. Let's have more conversations about that. And, and ask yourself, is the mob using the same concept as, as, as a Christianity that threatens people with hell if they don't get their life together? Um, love you all very much. Um, I'm glad I inspired uh, Roberta to, 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 to study more. It is, it's tough. It is tough. I remember telling my friend Pete, I said, Pete, I just wish you would just, he does this, he writes a type of philosophy. And, it's, and I said, I just wish you'd write a beginner's guide to this type of philosophy. And he's like, you know, he's like, well, Jay, you kind of seem to understand it. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe a beginner's guide. I'd like a beginner's guide. And he's like, why, Jay, do you know why you understand it? And I go, no, why? He's like, because there is no beginner's guide because you read the hard work and that's how you came to this area is because you studied it. And that's what you have to do. You have to study it. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Um, but it's worth a study because then you start to feel like it's good news and then you just become addicted and then you're like me, you're reading four or five books all at the same time. I mean, I'm reading a book right now that doesn't believe in Christianity at all and thinks it's weakness and horrible and, 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 and bullshit. And I'm, you know, I'm just reading it because there's some good stuff and some bad stuff and you can weigh this stuff. And I, you, I can agree in, 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 with people I disagree with who, who are smarter than me and disagree with me. And, and, uh, you know, if I come back next week and be like, he convinced me, I'll let you know. But right now, there's been no convincing. Um, revolutionchurch.com, if you like what we're doing here and would like to see it continue, um, this is right now, it's just we are making it by the, 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 the skin of our teeth. We need to raise about $4,000 this month. You can go to revolutionschurch.com. Um, honestly, this talk is not the best talk to raise money on, but anyway, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, please go to revolutionchurch.com and there's me Venmo and there's PayPal and you can donate in that way. And I'd really be grateful if you made a donation. Any amount helps. It also allows you to get a tax write-off if, uh, if you're looking for one of those and you're going, oh, I need to make a big donation to get a tax write-off. Well, revolutionchurch.com, we can help. Um, but thank you all so much. We will, I will not be here next week. I don't know if anyone will be here next week. I am uh, attending a memorial for uh, Brother Carlton Pearson. So um, we're going to go ahead and do that. Anyway, love you all. Grace to you all. And um, hey, good luck. Like, prove me wrong. I I'm all for it. Like, let's, let's, let's argue well. Let's disagree well. Let's debate and still love each other. You know, and, and if you think I'm going to hell, then you should love me more because I only have a little bit of time with me. You don't get eternity like with everybody else. All right. Love you. Grace, I got to go uh, two soccer games in a row. Huh? crazy, right? Gotta go do that. All right. Love you guys. Peace.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.